Welcome to the Revolution Church Podcast. Hey, hello everyone, and happy Easter. So, um, this is going to be a little bit different today. Uh, Jay is sick. Um, the kids had a stomach bug that he then got that stomach bug. And so it was Friday and he knew he wouldn't be able to do service. So he asked me if I could do it, except I have all running around for Easter to do today. So what we're going to try to do is do a live premiere on YouTube. So I have... I'm pre-recording this talk and then it should go live at service time and even have like an active chat, knock on wood. That's, that's what we're hoping for. So, um, since that's the case, we'll kind of just dive right in. Um, so Easter is like my favorite day of the year. Um, as you guys know, since I'm this just... I love the Bible and everything like that. Easter is very, I don't know. I love it a lot and I like it a lot more than Christmas um, because I think it's a more important part of the story as a whole. Um, But I didn't feel comfortable giving a traditional Easter talk or sermon because with Revolution, we don't really dive into... always treating the Bible like it is, um, historical, like, uh, like real true stuff. So I didn't want to come in here, you know, talking about resurrection and being dead for three days and, and all this stuff because sadly for some reason, even though it should be inclusive, that doesn't feel like an inclusive talk, but I want to have something with a similar feeling to it. I wanted a feeling of new life and, and resurrection. And uh, a few things came together for, for this talk to just kind of start to bloom and unfold in my head. Um, and <laughs> one thing, uh, so yesterday, me and my wife, we just saw the new Super Mario Brothers movie. And it's great, and I won't go into any details, but there's a minor character uh that just has some throwaway jokes and i was like oh my god, oh my god that's me uh again i won't do any like spoilers but there's a scene in which a bunch of characters are sort of trapped and they're trying to remain positive and like no or right, we could work this out we could we could get out of this and then there's this one character that just they just keep cutting to this character and they're like, nope, we're doomed and life is suffering and misery and there's nothing we could do about it. And every time they try to be optimistic, that character says something. And then one of the characters is just like, stop, we're depressed enough already. And so I didn't want that to be the case on Easter that everyone's trying to be optimistic. And then I come in like, you know what really sucks? The state of the world. You know, and then everyone's like, no, stop. We're depressed enough already. So um, so I didn't want to have an Easter service that, that felt like that. And a few days ago, 
um, a friend of mine sent me a text, and it wasn't it wasn't like an alarming text, but it, it's the kind that was like, all right, we need to like step this up a notch. And the text was just simply saying, I've been really struggling with my depression the last six weeks. I just got out of a bad bout and I feel it coming back again. And the, the message said, so if you pray, please pray for me because um, I'm about to be going through it again. And... You know, me and this particular friend, we have this kind of mutual bond of of our mental health issues, but not in a way where it's like, oh, cool, you're depressed, I'm depressed, yeah. But like, they know that I'll oh, like I understand where they're coming from. They don't have to try to to jazz it up. They don't have to try to make it seem not as bad um, as it is, and. so but getting a text like that is kind of like oh boy uh you know so i texted other friends like hey if you want to just maybe give them a call they seem to be really struggling and you know i'll I'll keep reaching out and um the only thing that made me feel a little uncomfortable about that text is the um like asking for prayer because i could do a whole talk on asking everybody what prayer is because I don't really know what it is. I know what I was taught, but it never felt, it never felt right to me. It, Oh, even when I was like deep in the heart of Christianity, praying always just felt like talking to the ceiling. Um, and then if you pray out loud, which I don't actually do when I do pray, I never pray out loud because I find myself so concerned with how I'm sounding. Oh, you want to, even if you don't plan on it, you're just like, oh, my sounding poetic. Oh, is this like, there's no sincerity in prayer when I say it out loud, at least for me. So, um, so I don't really know what, what prayer is. I had a great discussion, um, with a, um, a Catholic monk that I met, um, through a mutual friend in a rock band. Uh, sounds weird, but it's a true story. Uh, but they were telling me that that's one of the reasons they love um, the rosary as a Catholic, because it takes all of the thinking out of it, and they're able to just recite a given prayer and keep track of it, and they don't have to worry about sounding flowery or poetic or what do I pray about. And that kind of reminded me of... Um, what I think prayer should be. And that's from uh, the J.D. Salinger book, Franny and Zoe, in which um, one of the characters wants to get to a place in which by saying the same prayer over and over and over and over again, that it becomes like part of her, like the same as breathing, just it's a a constant state of prayer. And um, I wish I knew if that was the case or how to get there. Um, but above that, um, this person that texted me knew that I was a safe place and, and I sent a pretty lengthy response. I don't know, um, how many people in chat, um, message with me through text messaging or DMS, but I usually, uh, write a lot. So, but we'll, we'll get into that, uh, in a little bit. The, uh, in order to, 
set the stage a little bit. I'm going to not spend too much time because, like I said, I don't want to be that character from Mario that's like, oh, it's Easter. We're depressed already. Stop doing this. <laughs> um, but the I did want to touch base on what my view of depression is really quick. Um, and you'll see why uh, when I get into the real meat and potatoes of this talk. Um, it's a little, my view of depression is a little weird, but it's the only thing that makes sense to me. And I feel that depression is this living, breathing entity. It's not like a mental infliction. It's not a chemical imbalance. Um, you know, I'm not saying anything is like demonic possession or anything, but it, I feel like it's a living, breathing, like adversary. And for, um, any of us that are inflicted, afflicted with that, um, and uh, like, you know, maybe we're more prone to melancholy and depression. I'm sure um, you understand what I mean, where you could just feel it like coming back to life, even after you defeated it. And I know in the Harry Potter books, the I, I heard that the Dementors were based off of what depression feels like. You know, it's like this hovering black mass, like just gross and scary and it just sucks all the life and all the joy and all the happiness out of you. And that makes sense, but those were external things. And I feel like take that and you, and it's attacking you from the inside out. And that's kind of what it feels like. Um, any horror fans, I think the best representation of depression I've ever seen was in the horror movie, the, the Baba Duke. Um, and that's kind of also in containing depression feels like it just um just kind of like it it's chained up and it stays with you and you just have to feed it sometimes so it doesn't get out of control so i just thought that was great um because even though it is i feel a living breathing thing um i know that there's a huge mental component to it and, um, this one thing that sticks with me and I always credit it, credit this line to the band, the water liars, even though in the lyric themselves, they're referencing someone else, but, um, great band, everyone listen to all their stuff. Um, I know the drummer, Andrew, he, um, listens to revolution sometimes and he's got great solo stuff too. So everybody Listen to this band, but in the song Linens, um, the, the line goes, um, and when I woke up on the road, my head was killing, remembering something I've read in Milton that said the mind is a place unto itself and in it makes a heaven of hell and a hell of heaven. It obviously sounds better when they're singing it and it actually sounds like it rhymes and stuff. But what what I get from that is the mind is a place unto itself. And what it can what it's capable of doing is making a hell of heaven and a heaven of hell. And we see that in ourselves a lot when we tend to maybe fight for fight to keep ourselves down. It's not something we're doing actively, but it just, it happens. And then if you are afflicted with depression, you know that you could 
be in heaven. You could be surrounded by all of your friends and all of your family and um and you still will feel alone. You know, I think Bright Eyes has a, a line that says, uh, I'm alone at a table of friends. Uh I and um so it's the mind has a capability of doing that. You could be in the best place in the world, but if you're depressed, it's hell. And if you're depressed, your hell almost feels like heaven and you fight to keep it. And um, it reminded me of... Uh, so the, the Catholic monk that I just mentioned earlier, that mutual friend, um, his name's Aaron, and he's in a, he, the band um, Retired, but he was in a band and they were they were touring and this is years and years and years ago and they had a tour bus and on it just because it was like an old Greyhound bus that they, uh, that they refurbished and painted and they painted like a nice forest scape on the side of the bus. And in an interview, someone was just, you know, doing those fluff questions and they asked about the bus and asked why it was a forest that was painted on the bus. And, um, almost, Oh, it was kind of like, oh, is that just, it looks better, you know, as a forest, you know, it's not as bleak as a desert. And uh, my friend Aaron said, well, if I'm not happy in the the desert, I'm not going to be happy in the forest. And that kind of has that same vibe of the mind being a place into itself and, and it will make the heaven of hell and the hell of heaven. So if he's not happy in the forest, he's not going to be happy anywhere because the unhappiness is within him. And so these are the ways that I kind of look at depression and, and mental health. And, um, so in my response to my friend that, um, reached out and texted me, um, a lot of the stuff that I was emphasizing was how, you know, depression's not new for us. These battles are not new for us. And we've overcome every one of them before, you know, we're, we're going to be 40 years old, like, and we've been dealing with this for almost our whole lives and we've gotten this far. So time and time again, we beat it. And yes, it's exhausting, but we just, we beat it. We emerge, we keep going, we fall, we beat it, we emerge and we keep going. And, um, in that message it occurred to me that i was using a lot of imagery from david and goliath because that's a lot of imagery i use to myself when i'm in those uh in those moods and i i kind of reflect on the story and try to use it to to motivate me and so today we're going to talk about um david and goliath and that's going to be the real bulk of of the talk and I just want to say that I'm sure there's all sorts of studies and history that will say that oh maybe this didn't happen or this person wasn't real or that's not what it went down but for the sake of this talk and how I view it we're going to take the story at face value uh, as you guys know from maybe my last talk I don't really concern myself with if it's fact or fiction or if it's literal or metaphor because the outcome is the same and how it helps us is the same. So um, 
we're just going to take it right at face value because that's where I think that it gets a lot of its strength. It's my energy drink. So I'm going let's let's look at the the story of David and Goliath. Like zoom out, see the whole picture of it. So at the time that this is taking place, David's already working for King Saul in a roundabout way. Um, if you guys know that song, Hallelujah by um, Leonard Cohen or anybody else that came after it. Jeff Buckley, I think, has the best version of it. But um, So the song Hallelujah, and you know it starts with, um, I heard there was a sacred chord. That David played and it pleased the Lord. Um, so that is taken from the Bible. And what was happening was King Saul was kind of plagued. Especially at night when he was trying to go to sleep with bad thoughts and discomfort and anxiety and depression. Um, sounds familiar, right? And so what they found was that this small kid, a uh, young man, probably, I don't know if he was a teenager or something, played the harp. And when he played the harp, uh, Saul was soothed and calmed. And so he kind of worked in Saul's court to just play the harp for him um, and calm him down. And at the same time, though, David was a shepherd and he was in charge. He was in charge of watching the watching sheep and keeping them safe and I believe it was his family, like his dad's sheep. Um, and so with being a shepherd, it's not, you know, just, um, hey, sheep, let's go over here and eat and then go over here and eat. You know, it there was a an aspect of danger to it because sheep are these animals that can't defend themselves and so lions and bears and wolves if wolves are in that part of the world but lions and bears i know specifically um would be like oh here's my my traveling buffet and they would go um to eat these sheep and so the shepherd along with having to keep the sheep in line and get them from place to place would also have to defend them from these these creature um these other animals and now this is an unverified story, but I heard it and I thought it was great. And I pray that it is true because it just, the imagery of it is just incredible that I heard that when a animal say like a, a lion or some, something ate the, the, the sheep that the shepherd would have to do everything in its power to get the sheep back and into the herd and if they could not accomplish that and the sheep died and was killed by this other animal that they would have to at least wrestle back the leg bones to bring it back to whoever um flock it was to show sorry that i lost one of your sheep to this animal but as you could see from bringing back these bones i fought like the dickens to try to save this it wasn't just a oh oh well 
see, see you later. So, um, but I don't know if that was a common practice or if that was something I heard in a sermon when I was younger and assumed that it was true. So, um, so David was a shepherd and he was also playing the harp for Saul, uh, to soothe his mind. Now, David had three older brothers. I would tell you their names, but they are straight up biblical names that I don't even know if I could pronounce. Um, so they were in King Saul's army and they stayed with the army. Um, but David traveled back and forth for work. He was, he like commuted. So he would go play the harp when needed. Then he would go back to Bethlehem and he would tend the sheep and go back and forth. And so the brothers are in the army and the army's gearing up for war. And it's going to be the Israelites versus the Philistines. And the way this battle was working was they met at the Valley of Elah, which is, it was two high grounds across from each other with the valley in between. And one army is here, one army is here. And they're gearing up to fight. But um, the way they were fighting this battle, I don't know if it was all battles or this specific one, was that the Philistine army would send out their best soldier and then the Israelites would send out their best soldier and the winner of that conflict wins the war. So, But what happened was the Philistines, they their soldier, their best soldier was Goliath who was like nine feet tall. I think some accounts said that he had like six fingers and six toes. He was just a monster of a dude. His, I think just his chest plate alone weighed 125 pounds. He needed people to carry his shields because they were so big that other people needed to carry before, before war. And so every morning, Goliath would go out and he would just mock the Israelites. He's like, I'm the best champion. Send me your best champion. And then when I kill you guys, like, kill that champion, you'll be our slaves. And if somehow, somehow you beat me, we'll be your slaves. And it, it was working that every morning, every morning for 40 days, he came out and he taunted them. And they got so scared that they were, would retreat. And they had no one to fight or even want to fight this giant of a um of a a man and so you know i've i mentioned in my last talk that i've been watching a lot of wrestling like imagine andre the giant or the big show and if they were standing next to goliath they would look tiny and not like microscopically tiny but it would probably come up to their you know, Goliath's like shoulder or something or something like that. Um, so just big, terrifying guy. And so for 40 days, this is going on. And then one particular morning, Jesse, who is David's father, says, David, go bring this food to your brothers on the, the front lines. And so we're at, if not the front lines, in the army camp. And so David goes to bring this food to his brothers and for the first time David hears Goliath come out make fun of the Israelites make fun of their god um make fun of all their soldiers and everybody's scared 
And so David's like, what is this? What is going on here? And so they fill him in and they're like, oh, even Saul is so excited for someone to kill this man that there's this huge reward. And so David's kind of like inquiring about it. Um, he must have some, <laughs> I probably thought it was the, the brothers, um, hangups, but the older I get, I realize that David probably was a jerk and, um, well, I know he was later on, but even as a kid, because David's like, he's asking, wait, so if someone kills Goliath, they get the King's favor, they get a wife, they get this land. Oh, very interesting. And his brothers are like. You're always like scheming. I know you. You're prideful and you're sneaky. And even David's like, what? I can't ask questions now? You know, it's very comical in that sense. But David's like, if no no one's going to fight this guy, I'll fight him. Take me to, to King Saul and we'll, we'll do this. And so David goes to meet with King Saul and David's... A, like a scrawny shepherd boy. I'm sure he's probably like ripped because everybody was at that time because you're just walking constantly and having to make everything by hand. But overall, even at that time, the people in the in the army, the king, they, they saw him as small. And they're like, you're smaller than all of us. How are you going to go out and kill this big, giant, nine-foot Goliath who's chest plate alone probably weighed more than David did. It was like 125 pounds. So if, if everyone's saying how small David is, I'm sure he's probably roughly around, around that size. And, um, so they're like, everything about this giant is bigger and stronger than you. Even his armor would crush you. And then David goes, well, I'm a shepherd and, as part of my job, if a bear comes to attack the sheep, if a lion comes to attack the sheep, I have to kill that creature, kill that animal to save the sheep. And I do it. And I do it time and time again. And this giant is no different than those creatures. So if I could do that, I could do this. So I am going to fight him. And so they're like, all right, you're crazy. But if you want to um, fight him... Here, let's at least get you ready for battle. And they put all this armor on David. Chest plate, helmet, you know, um, leg guards, arm guards. They give him a huge sword, shield, and David's a small dude. So David takes a step. It's like a step or two. And he's like, I can't do it. I can't walk in this. I can't move. I can't do anything. Um, and even is basically like, well, if God's going to protect me, I don't need this stuff, right? And so... Takes, he takes off all the armor so that he can move and he could be be free. And he has his shepherding stick, which is not a weapon. It's literally just like a staff for him to walk. Maybe it's got a crook on it if he needs to grab, um, grab a sheep that's straying. And he goes down to the river and he picks up five smooth stones, which is imagery... That I love. And even in my car for probably like 20 years now. I have five smooth stones. Like in the uh, the ashtray. Um, and so he goes out. No armor. All he's got is a, a walking stick and five stones. And a slingshot. 
and it's not like a Dennis the Menace slingshot, right? It's um two straps of leather with a pouch, and they swing it, let go one of one of the the straps, and it shoots the rock out. And um, so he goes out to meet Goliath. Goliath looks at him. He's like, "What is this? What am I, a dog that you bring me a stick to play with? You know, because he's got his staff." Goliath really says this. What am I, a dog? I'm gonna play fetch. You're gonna throw the stick at me. And um, David basically says to him what he says to said to King Saul to get out there. He's like, I'm not scared of you. I've done. You're making fun of my God. You're making fun of my my people, my friends, my army, my family, everything. And so I'm going to kill you where you stand right now. Goliath's laughing, right? Like, ho, ho, ho. And so David just takes a sling, throws one of the smooth stones, hits Goliath right in the head. Now there's two different accounts. Uh, I kind of combine them. Uh, hits David and uh, Goliath in the head. Goliath falls down. Um, definitely concussed um, if he is even still alive. And then David, with Goliath's own sword, cuts off Goliath's head. Because the um, the Old Testament is very violent and brutal. And so that's the story of David and Goliath and how David defeats Goliath. And um, the reason why I am I love this story and I use it for my mental health and depression is because it's so rich in imagery. Even the fact that the war is fought on the precipice of like falling into like a valley, like a valley of the shadow of death, maybe even, right? And um, actually, I'm wondering, because David probably wrote that psalm, I wonder if that's literally what he's talking about, the Valley of Elah. Oh, oh anybody want to connect those dots and let me know? Um, right, but he has to walk up to the precipice of this valley, and day in and day out, there's this just tormenting, mocking, like giant that's insurmountable and just like in their face um and but above all those things david was able to assess the situation as like wait a second he's scary and we're on the edge of this abyss and i have to crawl into the abyss where i gotta meet this foe but he's no different from any, anything that I've accomplished before. He's no different from that bear I kill, killed last week to defend the sheep or the lion from a month ago that I had to kill. And I did that with nothing but a slingshot and my walking stick. And this guy's no different. Um, and the... Um, and an, another thing that stands out about this too is... David's not a reluctant hero. And in the Bible, that's mostly what we get with a few exceptions. You know, like, um, was it uh, Isaiah? I think he's the one that said, like, here I am. Like, send me. You know, David's like, I'll go kill Goliath. I don't care. And then, <laughs> um, 
Uh, but usually you have your people like Moses where God calls on them and Moses is like, no, I have a speech impediment. I stutter. I'm not going to be the spokesperson for, you know, um, for your people. And God's like, no, that's why I, <laughs> what you think is your weakness is your strength. And that's why I'm calling upon you. Right. We have Gideon. He was one of the judges. He was hiding. He was doing all his farming by at nighttime um, because he was so scared of people in the daytime. You have Jonah who literally tried to run in the wrong direction. So you have mostly uh, heroes of the Bible that are very reluctant. And so to have David be like, no, send me, I'll do it. Um, that's very interesting. And um, it's a lot of courage to do that. Um, but if we think about it, David could not fight Goliath when he was covered in all of that armor. So he, they covered him with everything to try to protect him. And all it did was weigh him and slow him down. And, you know, if we look at ourselves kind of in that sense, like what is the armor that we put on ourselves thinking that we're protecting ourselves, but really maybe it's like a self-sabotage type thing um, in which we're just... You know, like, oh, I have the, <laughs> the breastplate of solitude and, uh, you know, the helmet of just staying inside because I'm depressed. <laughs> the shield of staying in bed all day. Um, and what happens is it really kind of limits us. And that's, it's very, 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 very hard to take that armor off. Don't get me wrong. Um, you know, it's... I, Paul Simon has that song, I am a rock, right? And he's just saying that like, you know, I'm a rock, I'm an island, you know, an island never cries, like uh, a rock is never sad or alone. And in, uh, with mental health, you can start to feel like that. But is that just more armor that we put on ourselves that actually is counteracting, uh, like it's not, it's actually not protecting us, but making us more vulnerable and more susceptible and, um, so he had, David has to, to some extent, remove this armor. He has to open himself up. He's got to be vulnerable. He's got to get exposed and uncomfortable in order to stand a chance. Um, and I don't know the significance of the five smooth stones, right? It would make sense if he gathered 12 stones, right? One for the, each tribe, um, but he takes five, and the way I just look at it is he doesn't go out there completely unarmed. He doesn't go like, oh, I'm just going to need the one rock, so I'm set. He takes five, so so he, he does protect himself in some way, but he just wants to be able to to move and dodge if needed. Um, so we could still strip our armor off of all the things that stop us from... Um, stop our progress like we could take all that off but still have a um still have some protection behind us and um one way that i do that personally and it will change for everybody but i often know when i want to not do something odds are in that state that's exactly what i should be doing and that's why i don't want to do it There'll be a lot of times where my wife will ask if I want to go for a walk and I really don't want to, but I know like, oh no, I don't want to. So I probably should. 
And so I'll do that. And these things are not cure-alls. It's not like I go for a walk and come back and I'm, you know, seeing animated birds land on my finger and um, all this stuff. But it does help chip away at it from time to time. And it's not so much the walk and the fresh air and the sunshine, right? Because that's what, that's what like our relatives tell us. Like, oh, you're depressed? Go outside. Go for a walk. And you're just trying to explain. Like, that's not how it works. So it's not... It's... It's not hurting us, right, to go outside and be in the fresh air and get some sun. But also just the fact that we're stripping off the armor. The armor of, no, I'm staying. I don't feel like doing it. Like, no, right? That's just a heavy chest plate that's keeping us down. So if we go like, all right, I'll go for a walk, right? So it's just the act of doing that is stripping some of the the protective armor um, from us. But more importantly, it's just the... When David approaches goliath it's not he's not looking at the the struggle ahead of him he he's not ignoring it but he's he's looking at it but what he's focused on is all the struggles just like this that he overcame to get to this situation and so i killed the bear i killed the lion i'll kill goliath and then I'll repeat it the next time a bear comes, the next time a lion comes, the next time Goliath comes. You know, like, it just live, die, repeat. <laughs> the great movie, by the way. Um, so that's why I'm so um, big on that story, especially when it comes to mental health, because it's just so much that we can pull from. And whether it's real or metaphor or what have you, the story stays the same and the stuff that we get from it stays the same. The strength that we get from it stays the same. And um, David in general is tricky because <laughs> um, in a lot of ways, like he sucks, like he is the worst. Um, but then in the same, same breath, he's called a man after God's own heart. And you're like, um, but he sucks. Like, how is how is someone that's so not great a man after God's own heart? And I, what I think it is, is when David repents, like, he is sincere in it. Like, he, and he tries to actually correct his behavior and not just go, oh, I'm sorry, and then repeats and does it again. Um... But also, he he's like incredibly human. And again, this is not excuse, excusing any of the horrible stuff he's done because he's done horrible stuff. But, you know, you have someone that, you know, is in the king's favor and he defeats Goliath and he um, he becomes king later on. And then his Psalms are just like, like when, when Jesus says my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting a Psalm that David wrote because even in all that, David is like, God, why are you, where are you? You know, I thought we slayed giants together and now I'm in bed and I'm miserable and I wish the ceiling would fall on me and, and my bones ache because I'm just so sad. Um, and so that's really interesting to see from that non-reluctant hero, the hero that was like, send me in, put me in coach, I got this. And then the the flip side of it, he's like, man, Life sucks. I hate this. Uh, um, so he's just so human. So that's something that we can relate to. And he's also open 
to correction and having those tough conversations. One of my favorite stories in um, the Bible is, so <laughs> David's doing his, the, the kingdom stuff gets to his head. He's king and he's just trying to have his cake and eat it too. And he's trying to do some good things, but he's just also doing horrible things. And he's like so blinded by either his power or believing that he's in God's favor that he just kind of runs amok. And as you know, then he like, he lusts after Bathsheba. Um, and I don't want to comment on that, that story too much because it's a horrible story. And to my knowledge, even in any of this, there's no real consent from Bathsheba. So I do not want to dissect that because it's dicey and but but all to say is like that's that's the type of person david is right he's just really a crummy person and at times downright horrible and um so the prophet he's kind of like the court prophet um nathan and he goes all right david let me tell you a story (laughs) You, you have a rich man and he's got everything that someone could need and want and then you have someone who's not rich and all they have is one sheep that they love above all things and being a former shepherd you know what that love is for that that animal and the care that goes into it and one day the rich man is asked for some livestock but instead of giving his own livestock he takes the precious lamb from the poor man and uses that and that's how they make the feast what do you think should happen to that man? And David's like outraged. He's like, that rich man should be killed. You can't do that. That's horrible. How could you have so much and then take from somebody else completely oblivious that Nathan's talking about him and Uriah and Bathsheba and all the other stuff that David has done. And so when David's flipping out over this, Nathan can't even believe it. He's like, David, I'm talking about you. It was a, it was a metaphor. It was an, an analogy about you. And hearing that, David is like, he doesn't try to, oh, no, no, wait. What I meant was he, it like hits him like a bucket of water. He's just like, whoa, what? And he was like, I've been so terrible. And he like repents and he recants and he does he does what he can to set it right, which obviously some things can't be set right. But it changes him. He doesn't justify it. He doesn't try to shrug it off. It just... Uh, he's a, he's able to have those tough conversations and tough disagreements and disagree well and learn when he's wrong. And there's a great line in it in which also Nathan's like, God gave you this and this and this and this and this and this and this. And if all of that would not have been enough, he would have given you more. The reason God didn't give you more is because everything he gave you was enough. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a cool thing that happens, uh, in the details of the story of David and Goliath in which they keep saying in different contexts, the birds of the air. Um, and now when I hear the birds of the air, I think of when Jesus said like, look at the birds of the air, like they do nothing to plan for th- for futures. They have no power, but God takes care of them. Aren't you worth more than birds? And so in the same story, Jesus then talks about, you know, the lilies of the field and Solomon in all his splendor was not clothed as great and beautiful as one of these. And 
um, and so that's an interesting carryover that David and Goliath talks about the birds of the 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 birds of the air, and Jesus talks about that in the same line that he references Solomon, who is David's son. So there's a really cool connection there. Not sure what it means, but I I noticed that when I when I was writing this, um, and then also another thing in why David is a man after God's own heart is even though he's all the bad things we've mentioned some of the good things that go on with him and his, how he sees when he's wrong and he's sincere and he tries to make it right but he actually shows grace uh which is weird um you know when a king new king comes into power very much like say game of thrones they try to wipe out all remaining people of the last kingdom so there could be no uprising or or anything but because Saul at one point was anointed by God to be the king, David, even when he had opportunities, when David and Saul were warring, David had multiple opportunities to kill Saul and he wouldn't do it because he's like, uh, God appointed him. I can't, I'm not going to touch him. And then when, when Saul and Jonathan and Jonathan was David's best friend, maybe lover, but all the Bible says was he loved him like more than a brother, more than himself. Um, when he, when they died, instead of wiping out their remaining heirs and, and court and everything, uh, David embraces them and brings them into his own further unifying the tribes that were all disjointed, right? Saul started that unification and then David continued it on by showing, um, grace. And so a lot of these traits make sense when, uh, you hear, that Jesus is called the son of David, you know, and that's done, I uh, believe by Matthew it's a, a few times, but Matthew has the whole genealogy going from David, all ancestry.com 23 me all the way to Jesus to show that he is from the line of David. And, but you know, that's where we have, we have, you know, tough conversations, gentle correction, showing grace, unifying um unifying di disparate people right so that's very much jesus's bag as well and so that was uh interesting but above all it's a david's story is a story about uh failing forward which is a phrase that out of all places i heard from um when the undertaker was in the Admitted into the inducted into the wrestling hall of fame. He gave a speech and he talked about failing forward. And I love the phrase fail again, fail better, you know, and that's what David's story is really about is he just keeps failing forward. He doesn't, he doesn't stumble backwards. He just, he fails and he moves on and he fails better and he fails better. And, um, and he's doing the best that he can. And I say that because that's, a mini kind of breakthrough that I had in therapy myself um, is when I was like, you know, getting so frustrated with different people and society as a whole, my therapist said, well, remember that they're doing the best they can. And normally when people are like, oh, I'm doing the best I can, they're doing the best I can. It, it never hits me. Like it, it's just words, right? You're like, yeah, I know, but they could probably be doing better or trying harder. But then I really stopped and thought of like, no, they are doing the best that they can. And um, 
I'm reminded of this song by um, this band Beirut. And I might have mentioned it before, but in the song, they talk about a candle and they talk about a campfire. And now they're both fire, they're both flames. But to expect a candle to do what a campfire does is not fair to the candle. Because even though they're made of the same stuff, they're two different things. Just the same as it's not fair to expect a campfire to be carried room to room and being able to to read by by it. You know, it's like that's what a candle's for. Um, but you're not if you expect your candle to warm up your whole house, that's not going to happen either. Uh, because our hundred percent, giving it your all, giving it changes from day to day. Um, what a hundred, what's your hundred percent today is not your hundred percent yesterday, and it might not be your hundred percent tomorrow. You know, I have a friend that was going through some um, struggles, and she was telling me that she was like almost like um, feeling guilty because she didn't even get out of bed until eleven o'clock, and um, and she, like in passing, she's like, but then I made lunch and I took a shower and with like no irony, I was like, but that's great because any other day of your life, waking up early, making meals, taking a shower is not even worthy of mentioning because it's just a given. It's just what your day entails and there's no need for it. But on some days when you're really in the Valley of Elah, when you're really in the abyss, making lunch and taking a shower is equivalent to slaying Goliath that day and you did it and you're telling the tale of it and then tomorrow who knows it might not even be a blip it might just be you wake up you get dressed or take a shower you get dressed you make food and it's not even worth mentioning but because your 100% is different that day but the day before that what you were doing the literal best you can and doing what a candle does or doing what a campfire does and you can't expect that to be your baseline for every day so you know like that's when my therapist was like they're doing the best they can and you're doing the best you can and so we're going to um wrap it up right here because i just kind of wanted that to be the the feeling of like life and rejuvenation of you know like on the days where you want to be a rock and you want to be an island, that you can be like, no, that's just weighing me down. You know, um, I my 100% today might just be brushing my teeth and getting out of bed before noon. But that's a giant that I slayed today, just like I did yesterday, and the bear before that, and the line before that, and I'll do it again tomorrow. And um, so we've done, we've gotten this far, right? Every time we felt face-to-face with a giant that we couldn't overcome, we've overcome it, and you're here listening to this talk or the the podcast of it. So you've made it this far. And it's not like life was easy-peasy, and this is the first time you're meeting a bear or a lion or a giant. Oh, my. You've done it every day up until then, every time, and you've been successful, and this will be no different. And... um. You know, David wrote a lot of songs in the Bible. You know, they're psalms. But if you look at the headlines of the psalms, it often say, well, you know, the court musicians played this song by written by David. And so we're going to end this with some song lyrics. Um, 
you know, one is a song called Stay Alive. And I recommend all these songs to everybody. It's called Stay Alive. It's by Jose Gonzalez. Um, but it has the line that says, um, we'll do whatever just to stay alive. Uh, look at the sun as a new day rise, as a new day, as new days rise, dawn is coming, open your eyes, right? So even when it's dark and bleak and you're in the valley, um, dawn is coming, right? You know, like, uh, night never lasts forever. feels like it, but it doesn't last forever. And then dawn is coming. And, um, you know, there's a line from the mountain goats in a song called damn these vampires and um says when the sun comes up try not to hate the light and that really is that like hit me i think it's literally about vampires but um i was the state i was in when i was i was listening to music while i wrote this and that line stuck out um because sometimes we do get that stockholm syndrome to our depression and anything that tries to help us we kind of hate right we make a a hell of heaven in the heaven of hell and we put ourselves in all this armor to protect ourselves and all it does is weigh us down um so when the dawn is coming and a new day rises when the sun comes up let's just not you know, just don't hate the light you know like you don't have to embrace it but just don't don't hate it and you know one day it's my goal in life to get to a place mentally emotionally and spiritually where um uh in uh, it might even be an unreleased track but the band me without you has a, a song that's like whatever comes let it come whatever goes let it go and um i wish i hope to one day get there that anything that comes my way i just let it come and if it leaves me i just let it leave and um you know i think that's inspired by a story uh, maybe by uh rumi or hafez or something in which they were like oh my bowl is full of rice like praise God. And then some days it's like, Oh, my bowl is empty. Praise God. You know? And so it's like one day I want to get to that place where I can do that. But until, um, until then I'll just have to, um, settle for, uh, a life of like modest mouse, uh, the song float on in which the whole song is about bad things happening. And then an optimistic spin on that. Like, you know, uh, I backed my car into a cop car, but the cop just drove away, so it was okay. Or I got scammed, but you know what? Next time I'll know more to not get scammed. And um, and we'll all just float on, you know. All right already. We'll just all float on. And so um, that's just kind of what I want to say for this, this talk, this message, that um, even when things get a bit too heavy, we'll all float on, okay? And we've done it before, and we'll do it again. And so everyone go, have a great Easter. And that actually finishes my my journal. This is all the talks that I've given for Revolution um, since my first one. And now this journal is done. And I mean, I need a new one. So that was a lot of fun. So um, anyways, everybody have a great Easter. Enjoy times with friends and family. And we should be back to normal next week. So... Until then, let's hope that this, uh, this video works, and I will talk to you guys later. Bye.
Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. To make your 100% tax-deductible donation today, please visit revolutionchurch.com donate. You can also learn more by clicking the donate section on the website.